Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, Sales and Marketing Alignment, Three Critical Areas Where Collaboration is Essential. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod365, kind of a fun number. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am really excited to speak with today's guest. She's a partner and CMO at Chief Outsiders, providing experience project-based and fractional CMOs to growing companies. Her specialty is as a business strategist, focusing on growth and productivity in B2B software as a service, technology, and other service providers. So she really uh, gets in there and is able to put together those strategies for growth. She built a career in a number of senior marketing leadership roles in uh, some large companies, many of which you would have heard of, and she's based in Long Valley, New Jersey. Welcome to the show, Carol Everson. Thanks, Elizabeth. Very nice to be here. I'm just so glad that you could join me, Carol, and I look forward to our conversation today. Before we jump in, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. It's Carol Everson. I um, am a marketer who actually had my beginnings in sales. Uh, My first five years were in B2B sales, selling into the industrial sector, and believe it or not, the coal industry, chemical steel, and the aerospace industry. Um, And after I'd done that for a few years, decided to move into marketing, but I've always had a real affinity for sales, and I think it shaped how I function as a marketer because I understand the pressures that a salesperson's under. Um, I went through a variety of corporate roles, AT&T, MasterCard, LexisNexis, and then I pivoted to small, mid-market, even a pre-revenue role at one point in time, primarily in services, a lot in SaaS and in professional services, and um, had a number of jobs where I actually, as a marketer, own part of the revenue stream, including mm-hmm. a client services role. So basically, back and forth, sales and marketing, owning the revenue stream and supporting the people that directly own the revenue stream. That's such a wonderful story and really does speak to the expertise that you have. Um, I imagine it must be fun having had those roles where you were kind of locked in to a position for a period of time to do what you do now where you're working with companies through specific stages and on, a, you know, sometimes on a project basis, sometimes on a fractional basis, it must be fun to put those lessons that you learned into place and to really be able to see change. Oh, um, it, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. As a, as a consultant, which I've been doing for about two years now, uh, maybe three years, I guess, uh, as a consultant, it is just so much fun to learn about a new industry or new company and to apply what I know to to the needs. I work with the chief outsiders and there are about 130 of us, all of us former chief marketing officers that have also pivoted over into small and mid-market and uh, as well as still supporting clients on uh, the the enterprise level. So it's it's a great experience. Definitely. You do have a focus on growth and productivity. And that makes sense with the background that you just described, having sometimes had that as your responsibility. um, And you started your career in that. So it's something that you know. And I see a lot within organizations where there isn't that great relationship or that great understanding between marketing and sales, where sometimes they're butting heads or they're blaming each other or they, they're both working hard. You know, marketing feels like I, I work really hard and I give you leads and you do nothing with them. And then sales is like, you don't give me any of the right leads and the messaging that you put together isn't accurate or isn't, isn't compelling, whatever it might be. We see a lot of times that there's, there's a breakdown in that relationship. So I'd like to, to kind of start our conversation with what are some of the lessons you've learned about what it takes to actually make that relationship work and drive growth for the business? Absolutely. And I I will say I have some more, um, you know, business oriented things we need to do. But the starting point, the absolute starting point is there has to be desire and there has Mm. to be desire on both parts to to be aligned and to to have trust. And it comes in a couple of different flavors when you think about the desire. One desire can be to hit the numbers. And frankly, you know, if you look at the data that's out there, I've looked at a variety of studies. And when you see from data point to data point, 
you've got, for example, Serious Decisions did a study and you know, B2B organizations with tightly aligned sales and marketing uh, achieved 24% higher growth rates in revenue and 27% higher growth rates in profitability. Uh, there was another study by Anuitas that said that basically 47% um, higher value in purchases, a higher average mm-hmm. sales price when you have partnership and nurturing. Um, so, so essentially, there's one factor, which is let's do this together because there are really good business results that come from this higher win rates, higher revenues, higher contract values, and basically more positive energy. A second one is personal desire. You know, do people have a personal desire to work together? Personally, for me, you know, the, my favorite group to hang out with within a company is the sales organization. When I go to business meetings, I look for the table of salespeople. That's who I want to sit with. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's just an energy there. There's a positivity. I feel like we want the same thing. We want to hit the goals. And, you know, I always, in all the roles I've been in, the salespeople were kind of the cool kids, but, well, or one of the cool kids. Marketing's actually cool kids, too. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but I always found myself wanting to be around that energy. So I had a desire to partner and a desire to deliver because I wanted the people that I enjoy being with to rely on me and be comfortable with what I'm bringing to them. There's mm-hmm. a motivation, which is an external motivation that drives desire. Um, and there's a story I can share about that. I had, uh, in one of my roles, when I went to LexisNexis, I had a CEO of the business unit I was working with. I was the head of marketing. Um, he was a former NFL football player. He was a linebacker with the Oakland Raiders. And um, I also had a partner who was the head of uh, sales. He was like a, a very successful sales guy, 6'2". I'm 5'1", so I've got this guy <laughs> with a wingspan that like was the entire length of a conference room <laughs> or a conference table. The, the, the big sales guy and then little marketing person. I went into a meeting. I'll never forget my first day. Um, the CEO called us into a meeting and basically, he just sat there. He, there, weren't, there wasn't even a place for us to sit. So it's him saying, comes from us standing in front of him. I was looking at him eye to eye. I'm so sure. And basically, he spreads out his arms. And he's like, I never want to hear either of you come in and tell me and point fingers at the other one and say, I can't hit my numbers because we can't hit our revenue numbers because he's not converting my leads. Or I can't hit my sales numbers because she's not giving me good leads. He's like, I don't want to hear it. The two of you are a team. Leave. Don't come back. <laughs> it was like really easy to be motivated to work together. I happen to like the guy a lot anyhow, but that just made it really easy for the two of us to have a strong desire to make it work. Absolutely. That's I can I can literally picture that story. And it's I, I love that that kind of combines both factors that you just mentioned, right? There's the organizational push for this. And some organizations don't make that explicit. And they're, they're actually setting people up to fight against each other. And that may be more or less consciously done, but it's certainly not going to serve the organization and, and the growth that's being targeted. And then the fact that, you know, you you, you did like the, the guy that you were working with and, and you wanted to partner with him and achieve success together. I feel like, as you said, you know, this is sometimes it's the fun table of people to sit with or whatever. If you can align on a goal together with just about anybody, you immediately become a team. And when I think of the number of times that I might've been involved on a team with people I didn't know very well, or maybe didn't have a lot in common with, as soon as you have a goal, all of those differences get kind of pushed to the side and you you work together to achieve the goal. You know, that's why we do all the cheesy team building <laughs> sorts of things. And it it is so easy in a marketing and sales world to have very measurable goals that you're working toward. You know, other groups that want to work together, it might be harder to measure, harder to see when it's successful, but with with marketing and sales, it's, you know, are we getting more leads? Are they good quality leads? Are we closing them? <laughs> Super easy to tell if it's working or not. So uh, if if there's somebody listening who kind of feels like 
you know, I'm I'm in that sales seat or I'm in that marketing seat. And I don't know if the other person has the desire to, to partner on this, has a desire to be, you know, an effective, um, to have an effective relationship and work together. One, I would imagine, easy step would be that, um, you know, having a personal connection and then aligning on some goals. Absolutely. The the very next step after the connection is really the goal alignment. And mm -hmm. what's interesting about it is you, you mentioned that it's easy. It's actually oftentimes not so easy uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, one is simply that that the measurements have become fairly complicated depending upon the technology stack that you have. And the metrics don't always you know, line up easily for you to track. But if you, if you even take a step back from that, put that to the side for the moment, we'll come back to that. At the highest level, you, you just have to make sure that the leaders are totally aligned and that they then cascade down through the organization. It was interesting. I was speaking with someone just two days ago at a conference and he was asking me about his, he, he's a pretty junior sales leader. It's his first sales or marketing leader. It's his first marketing leadership role. And he's like, well, what do you think the top goals should be for the team? I'm like, should I, should, what should I include in their bonus structure? And I was like, revenue. And he looked at me, he's like, really? And <laughs> I was surprised that he was surprised and he was surprised that I said it, which was kind of crazy. But, you know, my reaction was, of course, you have to have alignment with revenue. I've had roles where my bonus was 65 to 100% aligned to business goals of which the vast majority, maybe two thirds, were the revenue attainment for the year. Mm -hmm. That's how I was paid. And that's how I would expect to be paid as someone who's sitting in the part of the income statement that's responsible for driving revenue. Marketing and sales are responsible for driving revenue. We have other responsibilities, but we're one of our key responsibilities especially for sales, but, but marketing as well is, is driving revenue. So to me, it starts with, let's just make sure that the business, that the marketing team has skin in the game associated with the revenue goals that sales has. Then you have to cascade those goals down to all the different players. Mm -hmm. Some marketers are not going to have as direct a connection as others. If I am the brand marketer in a company that's evolving and growing and acquiring lots of businesses, I'm going to be pretty focused on the big picture story and how the pieces come together mm -hmm. and what are we telling in the market and is the brand resonating in the market? And that's really hard to tie back directly to sales. So my percent of bonus that's maybe at stake with revenue might be 25%. If I'm a field marketer and my job is to support the field sales organization, I, my bonus better be about 75% at least tied to the revenues because that's that's the whole purpose of my job is to help the sales organization achieve its goals. So I see that as incredibly important. And then you have to cascade it all the way down through the process. You know, it's and and the next step in the process, the, the thing you have to really think about is you start with the annual planning process and then you have to work your way back. If, if there's, I worked with a company recently, it was a SaaS company, um, governance, risk and compliance and ESG. They're incredibly well run. And, and as we work together, what I found is we started the planning process with, okay, what are the numbers that we have to achieve? And then we backed into all of the marketing inputs that needed to happen using reverse waterfall with the key conversion metrics so that we understood, okay, I'm really going to have to deliver this many leads in order to hit this revenue number. Mm -hmm. I will say there's one thing that can happen here that can be a big problem. If the lead number that's required is insane and it can be, <laughs> you know, yep. it's crazy. 10 million leads. <laughs> exactly. And something has to give and there mm -hmm. has to a dialogue and there has to be a conversation and we have to decide where to put the bets and any risks need to be really called out. And oftentimes I, I have seen other situations with other clients or companies where um, it's like, nope, these are the numbers, go make it happen. 
And, and it's odd because then they'll say, well, I can only get this much revenue per salesperson. So I'm going to need 10 more salespeople in order to hit this number. Okay, go get your salespeople. And then marketing will say, yeah, but I can't get that many more leads with the number of people we have. I need more resources. And it's like, no, no, <laughs> you, know, you, you can't have it. So I think it's really important when your, your head of marketing is screaming bloody murder that, you know, you're at risk because the, the plan you put on the table is not attainable. It's really important for the head of sales to be their champion and, and help mm -hmm. argue that, look, this is only a win-win if, if everybody is able to do their part. Absolutely. And that process that you discussed in terms of the, the reverse waterfall, you know, if you haven't done something like that and you have a number, you know, 10 million leads, whatever it might be, then you don't even know, is that actually what it would take to achieve the goal? And sometimes there's not even just, there's not even a number, which is silly, but, um, you know, if, 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 it's just, if the, the thing is just, we want more, we want more, we want lots, that's not terribly useful. And as you said, as soon as you have a number, then you can evaluate, okay, what is the number we're at now? What are we doing to get the number that we're getting right now? What do we intend to do just more of? What are we going to do that's different? Um, what are we going to do to potentially increase those conversion rates so that we don't have to have such a huge number at the top of the pipeline to get the specific number at the bottom of the pipeline? And you can have so many more productive conversations just based on first coming up with those numbers. And so it, it's just amazing what reality starts to happen once you've done that first step of, um, you know, and it's, it's sometimes hard work and I'm not saying that it's easy, but um, that first step of really just coming up with, Hey, what's the goal that we're looking for? Absolutely. A hundred percent. And you are correct. I have dealt with some companies where they actually didn't have goals. And, and so it was like, wow, okay, let's start there. <laughs> then we'll go from there. I, I, I will say too, that, when it comes to you know the the cascading backwards of the goals and then the measuring the goals moving forward, one of the other key things is to make sure that the goals stack up to the business results as opposed to mm -hmm. other metrics that that sometimes a marketing um, function might be worrying about. As, as you're setting the business goals and doing your reverse waterfall, focus on the the conversion rates that get you to the revenues. And, um, and that will work, that, that, will, that will get where you need to be. That, that makes so much sense. And I think that's especially important in a team like marketing, where you're going to have some goals and some strategies that are not specifically related to lead generation. You know, they, they may have a long tail effect of lead generation, but things like we need to have a new website or we need to... Um, identify our brand story and get that out there through, you know, broad kind of soft messaging that still needs to be done. But if it's tied to business goals and it's really clear, okay, that's what we're doing for this goal. And then for the other goal that we have of generating specific leads, uh, here's the, here's the specific target. And then you can start to plan the actual activities. Yep. You, you know, you sound like you're diagramming a matrix that I frequently use um, that, that basically takes the combination of the revenue goals and then the other business goals that marketing is responsible for, and then cascades those down to specific actions and how you measure them. And, and we are focused really on the revenue one, as you just mentioned. It is important to understand that some of the marketers, either as an individual or part of their time, has to go toward looking ahead and mm -hmm. building the new website, the you know managing an integration of an acquisition, uh, integrating you know the the CRM systems, or you know worrying about GDPR when it came up and making sure you don't mm -hmm. break laws and get fined and things along those lines. They're going to have to do those things, and everyone has to have patience for them. As, and as long as the 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 revenue generation portion gets its due weight, then mm -hmm. it plays. Definitely. Definitely. All right. So you start with that sense of desire. You start with the, you know, the intention, and then you set some goals. That makes sense. What's the next step that you've identified to really make this relationship work and be productive? 
this is where it gets interesting. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's all interesting, but this one's a really interesting one because it should be easy, but it isn't. I mentioned this earlier. Um, technology and the key operational metrics. Mm. Um, the reason I say that is in these in this era, we now have so many BI tools and ability to pull data and um, reporting and analytics, and everybody has a cut that they want to do of the data. And what I have learned is without incredibly strong data stewardship, mm-hmm. you struggle to actually have productive conversations about the data. So the the positive what you want is the ability to just lay it all out there, sit down and have a conversation, look at the trends over time, look at month over month, year over year, quarter over quarter, and see what's happening for every key metric, whether it's the average selling price, whether it is renewal rates, whether it is, you know, the conversion through the funnel from you know, lead to qualified lead, however you choose to define your funnel, you you need to look at that data. It can be cut now in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. What I have found is that there are often multiple data sources, especially in larger companies, multiple data sources. So you might see, for example, um, you know, data coming out of the marketing automation platform. You might have data coming out of Salesforce. You might have a secondary, you know, like a BI tool that pulls it all together. You could have attribution tools like Visible that do touchpoint analytics. And all of this stuff is coming together and there are rules around the data typically. And what ends up happening sometimes is people kind of ignore the rules and (laughs) just pull the report that tells the story they wanted to tell. And so they're more interested in using the data to further the story than they are in and or protecting themselves than they are in figuring out, okay, what's really broken and Mm -hmm. is anything broken? And if something's not right, like being able to see it up front and solve it before it becomes a bigger problem. I've been in that. And that is a situation where at times you get the finger pointing. Mm -hmm. You'll have the salespeople saying, you know, I'm not getting any quality leads. And you'll have the marketer saying, you guys need to convert. Like I've sent you quality leads. And what's really critical, what you have to do in that scenario, you absolutely have to do is have super clear data definitions. Make sure that everyone agrees on the source for each data point. Have mm-hmm. somebody managing it that is neutral. Like if it if it's the sales admin, if there's like that, like the marketing people aren't going to trust it. If it's a marketing person, sales isn't going to trust it. Um, and, and it shouldn't be that way, but the, the cleanest way to solve this is to have a function that kind of sits in the middle and is responsible for outputting the truth in terms of the data without caring about what the outcome of the analysis is. And then letting the parties work together on this. I've seen this work really, really, really well. I mentioned that company I just worked at worked really, really well. And I've seen other situations where um, the data wasn't as clean. Everybody was just trying, like there was a lot of pressure, numbers were being missed and everyone's running around just trying to figure out what's the story. And oftentimes, you know, when they're trying to pull it all together, they don't sync up before they go to a meeting, which would be the next part of this process within you know, technology and operational metrics is get together before it goes anywhere important and mm-hmm. a great story. Like all you have to do is talk to each other, say, here's what my data is saying. Here's what your data is saying. Let's figure out which is the right story. So that when we go to the CEO, you and I are telling the same story and we agree mm-hmm. where the root cause problem is. I, I guess that, that NFL linebacker kind of don't come back here stuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's that's the right way to handle it. Yeah. Well, and that that just makes so much sense because like you said, it is really easy with the sheer just overload of data that most organizations have to tell whatever story you want and have it be incredibly self-serving. And to have objective, just this is the report that we're going to look at and these are the specific, you know, this is the definition of a marketing qualified lead and a sales qualified lead. And it's got some objective criteria. Here's where we can see in the system where they are, whatever, you know, any, any alignment you get on those 
on those platforms is really essential. And that that last thing you said there, one of the last things you said there of making sure that you're getting together and aligning before you're showing up at an executive meeting, you're able to just get on the same page. And hopefully, um, I would imagine you're, you're periodically meeting in between there. As well, so that you have this, um, you have this ability to, to fix issues before they turn into big problems to, you know, we're, we're not trending in the right direction. We're giving you all these leads and they don't seem to be closing, not blaming of, is there, are we, are these leads not as qualified as we thought they were? Do right. we need to do some additional training of the team? Do we need to do something? I mean, it, it's really easy to wait until the end of the year and be like, I did everything I was supposed to. And they fell down. <laughs> it's like, well, if if the company shuts down and you lose your job, <laughs> being right is not necessarily going to help. Yeah, exactly. Or if everybody misses their bonus, like that's not that's not helpful either. Like if you look on the, the more positive side, there's an upside for everybody to playing team ball as opposed Absolutely. to kind of protecting yourself in the moment, but not really seeing the big picture. Um, so yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. You know, one thing that is interesting too is, and one of the other reasons for this sync is, you know, we're talking about the more nefarious motivations, but if you take a step back, like sometimes it's just misinterpretation of data. Yes. For example, in SAS, like you, you'll oftentimes look at the, the data that for something that happened in a month and it's about that month's performance, or you might look at a cohort of say, you know, by month starting eight months ago, and depending on what your lead time is and what your your sales velocity is, you're looking back at, say, May, and the report that you're looking at is performance, not just for what happened in May, but the leads that came in in May, and how did they perform over the course of the rest of the year, or over mm-hmm. the next six months, or whatever your sales cycle is. And if you aren't careful, if you're looking at both metrics for different purposes, which are very good reasons to look at both, if you're not careful, you know, you have two people that are kind of butting heads, but it's because they're looking at different data sets. They just filtered the data differently and didn't realize maybe there were footnotes in the, and you know, in the BI system or whatever, and they just didn't catch it. And so they're, they're, and they're violently opposed and don't even realize they're looking at two very different things. So that's really key to identify before you know, before statements are made that may not be true, that have to be walked back. Mm, that is that is such a great point. And um, it's it, like like you said, it, it's not always nefarious. And, and these misunderstandings, the longer you're moving forward under a misunderstanding, the farther apart you're getting. Yep. And um, it's so incredibly important to to have clarity on these things. And uh, the the more complicated systems get, the more data that there is, the more different reports are available, the easier it is to have these misunderstandings. Absolutely. All right. So you've you've um, set your goals. You've aligned on what the metrics are that you're tracking. What's next? Next up would be the story that you tell. And, and how you tell them. And this one gets a little heated at times, but also can be like a wonderful um, coming together tool, if you will. So the story that you tell is really the content and the messaging and, and what goes into market. And, and you will see that there are, you know, I, I think most people understand the conversion funnel. Most people understand that there are certain uh, content assets that are really good at the top of the funnel and others that are really great for, um, you know, like at the moment of conversion, but there are some other nuances. For example, back to my example of um, companies that have acquired numerous companies or are changing what their business is or rebranding, there is content that has to happen there that is less about the near-term conversion funnel, more about the next five years. And, Mm -hmm. And that's still needs to be set. So sales folks need to have patience when marketing needs to go that route. Um, But sales needs to be very, very uh, clear about the hurdles and challenges that they're trying to overcome and what the type of information is that they're really looking for that would help them to advance a sale from stage to stage to stage. Uh, I understand and I have seen both where that's done really, really well and situations where 
that the marketing team couldn't get past the 50,000 foot content or mm-hmm. writing content for the new website um, and couldn't find a way to get to those key content assets that a salesperson needs to send out to overcome an objection or to set up some sort of a, a storyline that they need to tell because they're trying to establish the value of, of the solution. Or maybe they need case studies or they need uh, ROI calculators or something along those lines. And uh, the marketing team is struggling to deliver them. I would say like from my perspective, there is almost always a solution that the marketing and sales leadership team need to come together on. And that is at a minimum, allocate a certain percent of the content budget, whether it's in-house people or external that is for sales. And it, it's the, the issue, the challenge that you run into is, is a, a single sales asset will never have the same perceived corporate value as this great big major initiative or a major campaign at the brand level or a you know a website overhaul, et cetera. But that doesn't change the significance and the importance of those content assets that help convert leads into finally close one business. Mm-hmm. So you and and the the marketers, there should always be mark someone in marketing that is worrying about what does sales need next to be able to help continuing to increase the conversion rates across every step step of the funnel. That's really key for someone to have responsibility for. And I would look to the marketers to step up in some cases where they perhaps have not done that and mm-hmm. take on accountability for delivering what sales needs as opposed to only in crunch time, you know, diverting all resources to the big corporate initiatives. Oh, that's so, so incredibly important. And as you said, it's, it's not going to seem as essential when you're looking at some of the amazing, beautiful things that marketing can do. But um, as you said, this is, this, this is a pathway, you know, it's a, it's a pipeline that needs to be open from both sides to have sales be able to say, here's an objection I keep running into. I need to, first of all, figure out what's the message to respond to it. What, you know, what's a question I could ask or, or a point that I could provide that would, that would resolve that, that concern. Um, and then I might need some content to, you know, to be able to present, or we might need to have something that we can put on the table to prevent that from ever even coming up. And then you need to have the ability from the marketing side to say, hey, you know, we just did this major acquisition. We just made this move into a new market. And this is a message that we need to make sure we're communicating to all of our existing and potential new clients. And here's how you can describe it. Here's the pretty slide that explains it, whatever it might be. And if that pipeline of information is going one way, but not the other, you're really missing out on... um, on better quality information on both sides, because what we often see, um, and I'll, I'll just say this: is I'm talking to salespeople, and so I'm getting I'm getting that perspective. There's often this feeling that marketing is developing this content, this message, and it's not resonating. It's not right, and I I'm forced to use these slides that I don't like, and, and all these other things. And the more sales feels like marketing is listening to me. Um, I have the ability to make requests and and have my suggestions listened to. And my leader has a good relationship with the marketing leader. It could be the exact same deck, the exact same message. And suddenly you're not going to have that resistance. Absolutely. I'll give you an example because I agree with you 100 percent. Back to that company with the linebacker. I will like I I had a lot of valuable lessons there. Um, the, The head of sales came to me and said, you know, we've been in a traditional media industry um, because we were law firm marketing solutions. So we had like a website with lawyers.com and a lot of other um, aspects of uh, you know, websites, et cetera, SEO services for small law firms. And he came to me and basically said, um, our salespeople need to change. They've been selling listings in print publications. For, no, I'm dating myself. They've been selling listings in print publications for an extended period of time. And now we need to talk about all these digital solutions and they don't know how to do it. I need your help. So what we did was a couple of things. First, I got his input. 
And then I, I created a product marketing function because it became very obvious that we needed someone who could do that, pulled someone that was doing one project into that. And then we pulled in the absolute best salespeople that were rock stars at selling these digital solutions. They had about, at the time, I think we had like 150 salespeople. So we picked four or five of the rock stars and brought them in and just spent time with them. What do you do? How do you do it? We went on sales calls with them. Help us watch you see how you actually position this. We took all of that back and we created new training and we created, actually we took it all the way with the head of sales leading the way to a certification process. And at the national meeting that year, um, they actually had a bake-off on who could present the value prop uh, the best and, you know, had a winner in front of the entire sales organization <laughs> using as the foundation everything we had jointly put together. That's the way to make it work. Absolutely. That's that's such a great example. And there's, you know, you could have an organization where you have that many salespeople, you know, in the hundreds. And one thing that all leaders need to understand is those salespeople know who the top performers are and they trust them. They want to hear from them. They might want to compete with them as well, <laughs> but yeah. if, if they were involved in putting together some messaging, they were involved in communicating the needs, they were involved in describing the process, they, the rest of the team knows that it's legit <laughs> and you're, you're getting the benefit of the, the credibility that they've built up through their success. And that's um, being integrated into the work that you're doing. But it's also, you know, kind of leaving that halo and really helpful to make sure that, that again, it gets adopted on a daily basis. Agreed. It would not have worked if we'd gone off in a vacuum, built what we thought was right and brought it out and said, ta-da. Yeah. Uh, now let's certify you and you can't get, you know, bonuses or whatever if you don't pass certification, they would have revolted. Mm-hmm. And they just, justifiably, they would have. I, I would have if I were them. So yeah. I guess. Definitely. All right. So you've you've set the goals, agreed on the metrics, and you've got your story. Is there anything else? Um, yes. I think the last is really how do you work together on a day in and day out basis? What what is the the way that that the organization works? Some people would call it culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I I just think of it as how do you work together? It does start with the cultural cultural aspect, which is trust and respect, and that that needs to go both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, And it typically, I think marketers typically feel like they are stepchildren and or half brothers and sisters or something. Mm -hmm. They feel like they're they're not perceived by the salespeople as equals, as peers, as, you know, another part of the puzzle that's working toward the same goal. They feel and, and in some companies, all they do is create collateral and do emails and you know so so maybe in a scenario where someone's telling them constantly do this do this do this i i can see why you would feel that way but you know they need respect just like they need to respect and trust the sales organization Mm -hmm. this is definitely a two-way street there is room in on both sides if there are sides i hate to even use that word but there is room for both parts of the business, the two parts of the two parts of the business that should have the most trust because they're the two people joined at the hip going out to bring in revenue. They're not producing the product. They're not servicing the product. They're not counting the money that's spent. They're the two functions whose job it is, is to drive the business forward. So it's just super important that the two of them work together and have trust and respect. So that is step one. Um, Step two, we just talked about, and I think it, or part two, I guess, of, of, of the daily um, working relationship is really, you know, being in the other person's space. Mm-hmm. Some people would say that's a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. I think it's wonderful when salespeople weigh in on the messaging that's being delivered. And I'm, I'm going to give you a really good example of that. Um, because it, it turned into, with a recent client, a really strong situation. I had a client who totally understood, um, when, because they'd been working at this for a while, they knew in scenario A, B, or C, 
I have a very high probability that I'm going to close the sale. So help me get more of those. Versus scenario DEF, this is going to be a long sales cycle and or it won't be as valuable. So what we did together is spent a lot of time with them, understood, okay, so if these are the things that when these things happen, you win. I want to go find more of these for you. Yes. And what my team did was we created a program, we called it trigger-based marketing, where we basically identified what are the triggers that make a difference in your sales cycle when A happens, you win. How can we systematically go find those triggers? And we found data systems, data sensing systems that would give us those insights. So for example, you know, if your business is very successful when selling to a company that's in the middle of a merger and acquisition spree, you know, go get a data source that gives you a feed on mergers and acquisitions so that when one of those happens, you're prepared to say, oh, this just happened. I know this is hot. I'm going to go get it. What had happened was historically people were just sort of tripping into it. Like they'd mm-hmm. read it in the paper, they'd read it online, they'd read it where not in the paper, but online. And um, basically they would identify through whatever means they could an opportunity and go after it. We systematized it and set it up so that there was a feed directly into Salesforce and it went straight into the queues of the people that should handle it. And then we built out an amazing sales enablement um, set of materials that basically said, here's the trigger, here's why it's important, here's what the concerns are that the client has, here's our solution, here's how it benefits and solves the needs of the client in this situation, and then here are all the assets that go with that trigger that you can use in your outreach Mm -hmm. to the client. We might also do marketing campaigns on top of it, but we made sure we did a very solid job for them, uh, you know, all you have to do is assume when this trigger shows up in your sales Salesforce queue, here's what you do to, to go after it. That's, that's such a wonderful example of something that I think um, some organizations are very aware of and other, other sales teams might not be in that marketing a lot of times has access to an expertise in technologies that are not necessarily as available to the sales team. And has, you know, the the training and the experience in, okay, if this is a kind of lead that we're looking for, we can find a data source for that. And more old school method, like you said, is just like, oh man, we've got to, we've got to figure this out. We've got to, everybody go out there, keep your eyes open. You know, hopefully we'll see, we'll see companies, you know, a grand opening sign somewhere, or we used to be called this and now we're called this. And and we hope that we can get in there. And that's great when those happen serendipitously, but man, if you can get a a feed that's showing you all of these that happen and they automatically get fed into, you know, your CRM system, and then you have messaging for that, that's going to be a whole lot more productive than just hoping it, you know, flies across your, your dashboard right in front of you. Absolutely. And that comes from being in each other's space, you know, Mm -hmm. like having, and actually we basically had weekly meetings. We would talk about what was working, what's not working. Um, We integrated across, you know, monthly meetings, the marketing would stand up with sales and talk about what's coming and what, what's up. And, And we were just continuously, you know, we had a cadence of meetings, we had integration, we even had um, in that scenario, Slack channels for both sales successes and then lead gen successes. Mm. Both sales and marketing were subscribed to both the sales successes and the lead gen successes. Mm-hmm. And we would be commenting back and forth on both channels because sales understood that the, the BDRs, SDRs, whatever a company might have, like they need that positive reinforcement too. And, and the marketers that are creating the leads that the BDRs and SDRs are working on, they need positive reinforcement. So they get excited when they've done something and you see salespeople jumping into the Slack channel saying, great job, go get them. And at the same time, when that happens and you see salespeople, you know, sales coming in and being celebrated, it's really fun to jump in and, and, and you know, return the favor and be really excited for the salesperson that, that they had a great success. So I think that the more you can find creative ways to integrate communications between the two uh, and establish formal meetings and schedules of meetings, the better. Absolutely. You know, one thing that I think causes a lot of the 
I don't want to say jealousy, but it is almost jealousy. You see in some organizations this feeling like sales, they get to go out and have a lot of like meetings and, and meals that are paid for and they get these big commissions. And I don't get commissions like that. I don't get, you know, all these dinners that are expensed or whatever it might be. And and there's sometimes this perception that, um, that they get rewarded for their behavior and for their results in a right. way that's outsized to the way that you might be rewarded for your behavior and your results and praise and gratitude and acknowledgement. Those matter a lot. And it doesn't have to be that you get a commission. I'm not saying people don't need, just don't need and deserve to get paid, but it's amazing when there's just that recognition, how much that can make up for. Absolutely. Because especially when it comes from the high performers, Mm -hmm. Because it could, and and typically the highest performers are truly gracious and and thankful for yes. whatever's coming. So so it, it it definitely works that way. And, and I, I understand what you're saying. I I personally again because I've kind of worked both ways. I I understand what goes into the risk associated with trying mm-hmm. to bring sales in. But, um, and by the way, in some companies, it's the other way around. The marketers go to the trade shows and, yep. you know, the number of salespeople go and the sales are like, why aren't I there? Because they're all whining and dining and having all this fun and talking to customers and I should be there. So that's it's always greener. It goes both ways. It's really crazy. Yep. They get this bonus at the end of the year. They, they don't have to deal with all this risk and all this uncertainty. And it's like, yeah, that's their, their different jobs with different compensation models. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the key is, the key is joint celebration and, and, yep. and showing appreciation, respect both ways. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. A question I always like to ask our guests is, are there any trends that you're kind of keeping an eye on? You've, you've talked already about some things that, um, that are kind of more cutting edge and, and more available, but I know there's, um, you always have your eye open so you can bring these new resources into your clients. Yes. Um, I, I would say one of the areas that we're really working on now at Chief Outsiders is account-based marketing and, you know, trying to take it past where it is today. Mm-hmm. Because today, if you look at account-based marketing, every vendor has defined what they think account-based marketing is yep. based on the product they sell. And people are really confused about like, what is account-based marketing? First of all, I think it should be called account-based sales and marketing because it's really about orchestration of sales and marketing together to win at a named account level uh, in its purest sense, or you can take a step back and say a group of accounts at a, at a, at a level. Um, so, so one of the things that, that I'm seeing is more and more attention to finding a way to actually, you know, get rid of the hype and, and make it work. I, and, you know, I feel like I started working on account-based marketing years ago when I was at MasterCard and, you know, we would go through a sales cycle that was maybe two years for a 500 million to a billion dollar deal. And there was a lot of sales and marketing work that happened through the course of that sales cycle with the volume of decision makers that we had uh, to pull together a cohesive story just for that one account about why that account would be better off using MasterCard as opposed to Visa um, for its debit or credit card portfolio, whatever it was that was on the table. Um, So I've seen it work at its best when you have one-to-one really large corporations there's a lot that can also be done at the opposite end, which is I have a bank of accounts I'm going after. And I think what we need to do and what we're trying to work through and, and um, I, I feel we're having some really good success with is taking all of the different tools that are out there that enable account-based marketing and put it together in a, okay, for the, the great big companies, the mid companies, the smaller companies, mm-hmm. how should we look at this and apply it? So that was funny. Uh, intent is another, it feeds into mm-hmm. account-based marketing, but it's not solely for account-based marketing, but it's definitely a major contributor is, um, you know, the, the things that we're having out there with intent-based solutions to help you identify who actually is already in your conversion funnel that you didn't even know was there yep. um, because they're so far along in the process and, and identifying, you, you won't get it at the individual level, but you'll get it at the company level what companies are, are making progress. So tying that together with ABM is, is something that is really happening in the market as well. 
Absolutely. I, I, I've been hearing a lot more conversations about that. And it's, it's one of those things that's so much more actionable than a lot of the other strategies that people talk about, because it's, it's so timely. And that's something that's exciting. Because a lot of times, you know, you hear about a data source, you hear about a, an insight, and you're like, okay, I kind of see how that would apply. And it's like, could I find out the people that care about what I'm selling and want to buy it? Yes. And they're that's already talking nice. to my competitors or looking at my competitors. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't even know it, you know, well, like that. And by the way, that applies to your, your embedded base as well. If you think about yeah. it, wouldn't it be helpful to know if your current client is surging out on the network on keywords that indicate buying behavior for the solution you offer? Yes. That suggests to you that you have a renewal risk. <laughs> I have a I have a client that calls those Jeopardy clients and yes. they have a whole Jeopardy process. And if you don't have any way of identifying them, except for, you know, we just did our QBR, you know, and, and we heard some negative feedback, that's not ideal. <laughs> that's that's one way, but you're you're pretty far along in the process if that's yep. the only yeah. the only gauge that you have. That's true. All right. Do you have any resources that you would recommend to our listeners? This could be content um, that you and, and the rest of the people at Chief Outsiders have uh, developed or sources of information that you found useful to you on your journey. Well, there are a couple interesting ones that I found. Um, one is there's a report out by LinkedIn called LinkedIn Moments of Trust, and it's all about sales and marketing and, and how they, they work together. Um and, and there's also a set a series, I think one for marketers and one for sales. I saw the one for marketers, but I believe there's one for sales as well, which is a LinkedIn Live of that same topic. So mm-hmm. that's out there. And uh, I also found a Gartner report on how to use sales and marketing to collaborate for greater revenue growth. So I thought those were two really good sources. We have a ton of content on our blog uh, on all of these topics, and we're constantly adding um, so at chiefoutsiders.com, there's there's a blog with it with quite a bit. I've done some work that I'm in the middle of of updating. So I would say we're always producing. Um, <laughs> but these were some of the ones that I found that I thought were really interesting. Definitely, and yeah, when you've got an organization full of CMOS, I would imagine that you probably develop some quality resources and content. We do. <laughs> it's something we're we're pretty proud of and and pretty good at. So. Uh, yeah, I, I think we've learned over the years how important it is to pull people in as opposed to just outbound by itself. Yeah, yeah. Practicing what you preach. Yes, actually. <laughs> All right. If listeners want to learn more about you and your work, where, where should they find you? Well, chiefoutsiders.com is our uh, website. And if someone wanted to reach me, I'm just C. Everson, C-E-V-E-R-S-E-N at chiefoutsiders.com. All right. Wonderful. Thank you so, so much for speaking with me today, Carol. I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's my pleasure, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod365. If you enjoyed the show, please recommend us to a friend. That's the best way to help more people discover it. And if you haven't subscribed, make sure to do that right now. You can subscribe for free wherever it is that you're listening. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or email us if you've got direct feedback, questions, or suggested guests that we should be speaking to, podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ryland Sylvester. Happy selling!